that you know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that that is the basis for what you center your entire life around. We are in the book of James. Uh, we're just walking through it verse by verse. Uh, James is uh, the brother of Jesus Christ. He actually is pastor at the Church of Jerusalem. He writes this book early in the Christian church history. Um, at the time of this writing, it's within probably about 25 years or so of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross. A bunch of people have come to know Jesus as their Savior, but the thing is most of them had, a lot of them had a Jewish background. They weren't quite sure what this whole Christian thing was all about, this, what this thing looked like. So James writes them, uh, writes to them and says, you know, that, look, this is what mature faith looks like. Um, within 15 years or so of James writing this book, Nero's going to start persecuting Christians in Rome. Within 50 years, 60 years of the writing of this book, we're going to have Christians dying uh, in the Colosseums at Rome. We're going to see Christians persecuted all over and basically coming to a point where they have to either deny Jesus Christ and say, Caesar is Lord, or lose their life. And so James writes this book to say, let me talk to you about what a mature, a real, genuine faith looks like. Let me help you get it as a foundation so that when this time comes, you can handle the stuff. So James gives us a lot of ideas of what it looks like to be a real Christian. And we already talked about some of that. There's a humility. There's a servant's attitude. We've talked about the idea that we are doers of the Word, not just hearers only, that we, we take the Word of God and we apply it to our lives. And we've talked about how important and significant that that is. And so... This morning, we're going to look at the next two passages, and some, some people say these two verses actually lay out the, the background that the rest of the book piggybacks off of. So um, with that in mind, here, let's jump to James chapter 1, verse 26. Here's what it says. Those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. What James says is, here's what you need to know. If you're the type of person that thinks you have all your spiritual ducks in a row, if you're the type of person that you look back in your life and say, you know what, I do the church thing, I do the devotional thing, I got the prayer thing going on, um, I really love God, I got my act together, I, I, I've got this Christian thing down. James said, then let's put it to the test. Because here's a really good test of whether or not what you say, what you think about yourself, is true. He said, what's coming out of your mouth? He said, because that is a reflection, a better reflection of where you are spiritually than what you think in your head. He said, because, and he's going to spend time, as we get farther in the book, talking about this tongue thing, because it's so important. He says, look, if you really want to do a heart check, you really want to find out what kind of, when he uses the word religion, it's only used five times in the Bible, and it's used a lot here in, in these two verses. But when he uses this word religion, he's just talking about this whole broad picture Christianity, Bible, 
God thing, routines, rituals, tied to spiritual life, all that stuff. He said, you really need to take a good hard look at what's coming out of your mouth. Um, we are told the average person speaks 18,000 words a day. That is enough to fill a book with 54 pages. In a year, you will fill 66 800-page books with the stuff coming out of your mouth. You see, there's a lot that you can control, but when you're speaking that many words, at some point, what's inside comes out. That's what James is going to argue. So he says, I don't care what you think about your Christian world. Let's test it and see what's coming out of your mouth. Because what comes out of your mouth is a really good reflection, as we're told in the Scripture, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus says, your words will either condemn you or redeem you. So there's this idea of if you really want to look at where you are in your spiritual growth, your maturity, your faith, take a good step and back and say, what comes out of my mouth in a given day? Because that's a pretty good reflection of what's going on. So right off the bat, James has got people on the defensive. They're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, and, and before we get into this, look. Don't sit here and tell me, well, you don't understand my environment. You know, I, I, you know, you got to remember, I was bivocational for 10 years. I've worked out in the real world where every third word was a cuss word. Okay? Um, and here's what I do know. You can control it when you're thinking about it. Look, I see it all the time. I come in across people. And, I mean, they're cussing up a storm. Well, blankety, blank, blank this, and blank, blank this, and up that, and and they go, hi, I'm Pastor Jim. <laughs> and even the most sailored person out there all of a sudden starts cleaning it up. So now it's not every third word, it's every ten words. But at least, why? Because you can control it. And what James says is, you want a test of your faith, you want a test of what, where you are in your spiritual walk, look at your mouth. He's just spent a lot of time when we get farther in the book on this. And then he goes on to say this. He says, religion that God our Father, that's interesting, he's now introduced this father concept of God. We'll talk about the significance of that in a second. Accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James said, let's talk about what this real Christianity, this real faith, this real thing looks like. And he introduces this concept about God our Father. Because what he wants to do is, he, again, he's going to talk about orphans and widows in a minute. So he says, you need to understand, God as a father, cares about his family. He cares about his children. So 
if you are genuinely trying to be in Christ, reflective of God, reflective of the Father, reflective of Christ, then you're going to do the things that the Father did. And one of the things that you see about God as a Father in the Bible, He really does put a special focus on orphans and, and, and widows in particular. Because you need to understand, so let's talk about the big picture and what he's saying here, because sometimes we get hung up on the specifics. Let's remember that when this is written, there is no Social Security. There is no Medicare. Um, There are no food stamps. It is an incredibly male-dominated world. Women didn't go out and get jobs. Everything was really tied to the man. So if a person was fatherless, they were on their own. I mean, that little kid would have to go out and beg for food. If he didn't have family that was going to take him in, he was literally on his own. And Scripture has a lot to say about how God cares for the fatherless. But in this particular situation, James is saying, look, one of the things that you're going to learn about genuine, real faith is it focuses on those that really can't help you. It focuses on people like those orphans, those children who have no father, who are out on their own. And it focuses on widows. Again, you know, we look, widows today and widows back then, it's a different world. Back then, if you lost your husband, you basically had two options. You moved in with family or you got remarried. You went out and found a husband as quick as possible because, again, you were on your own. So if family didn't take you in, you were in trouble. And so what would happen, by the way, in the Old Testament, that's the story of Ruth. You know, she's, it's family, and then they find a kinsman redeemer that comes in to help them. So you have that, that picture there. And so what James is saying is, look, you need to understand, you need to reach out and help these people. Because here's what was happening with the church. And again, it would happen there in Jerusalem where James is a pastor. All of a sudden you have people who are widowed or they're fatherless, and they hear about this group of people who love each other in incredible ways. That's what they said of the disciples. They were known by their love for each other. So they're loving each other. So they would come in to these, wherever these groups were meeting, and they would say, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm so-and-so. And they'd get to know them. They'd find out they're widowed. Or they'd find out they'd, that it was some little kid that was fatherless. And they knew that they would be loved there. So they would come into the church, and James is going, look, you need to understand. You need to care for those people. Because one of the things that he's laying out is this principle of genuine religion, genuine Christianity, genuine faith is not self-focused. It's others-focused. One of the things that bothers me about Christianity in America, we're kind of self-focused. God, we, we pray American prayers. God, bless me today. God, I'm pulling into Walmart. Would you help me to find a spot up close? Really? That's your concern for the day. That's how we pray. 
And James is saying, no, 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 no. Genuine Christianity, genuine faith, real faith, focuses outside of itself. And in particular, it focuses on people that can't do anything for you. Widows and orphans. People who can contribute nothing to you. You know, it's easy to do something for somebody if there's something in it for you. James said, no, genuine Christianity, it focuses on people that are outside of that. And then he goes on and he adds, and it keeps himself unspotted from the world. There's a negative aspect and a positive aspect to this. The positive aspect is Christianity goes out and cares for people that, are, that, that need help. The negative aspect of it is Christianity, genuine faith, looks different than the world does. One of the problems in Christianity is we have this mindset. There's two extremes, and you've always heard me say this. It's important in life to find a balance, and and, and there's two extremes. One extreme is way over here, and it says, look, if you want to be godly, you study your Bible, you pray, you stay away from the world, you don't have any contact with the world, you isolate yourself. You have this ascetic lifestyle, if you will. The idea is, I just want to get closer and closer to God, so I don't want to be tainted by the world, so I don't have anything to do with the world, and, da, da, da. and you become a, a stack. You, you basically make it all about you and your relationship to God. There's another group, that they're on this extreme. And in this extreme, here's what they say. In order for me to be able to relate to the world, I need to be where they are. I mean, that's what Jesus did. He was a friend of publicans and sinners. Yeah, but the reason Jesus was a friend of publicans and sinners was because he was different from them, not because he was like them. And so what happens is these people go, you know what? So I kind of need to be wherever they are, and I need to do whatever they do. And that's where we get in trouble. Because all of a sudden now our goal is to be like the world so that the world will accept us. And here's what I would say to you. By the way, teenagers, listen to me. This is what you're going to face for the rest of your life, not just as a teenager. But you're going to be, the, you're going to be as Romans says, you're going to, the world is going to want to squeeze you into its mold. And you're going to feel like in order to be accepted, you have to do what they do. You have to talk like they talk. The problem with it is this. When they get in trouble and they need help, they want somebody who's different, not somebody who's the same. So as a Christian, we navigate between this idea of not being of the world and not being apart from the world. So we have to navigate this idea of I am in the world but not of the world. I can relate to you, but I'm different so that I'm okay with being different. I don't need to be tainted. I don't need to be um, spoiled into doing everything the way you do. And this is so important for us to understand. James says, look, you have to be really careful here. Because yes, God is loving, but God is also holy. God And what happens is, these people focus so much on the holiness of God, they ignore the love of God. And these people focus so much on the love of God, they ignore the holiness of God. You say, well, which is more important? Here's my 
here's how I've pieced it all together for me personally. It is a loving holiness or a holy love. It is not one or the other. It is both. And James says, look, a mature faith? A mature faith, yes, it is concerned for others. But it is also separate from others. But not to the exclusion of being completely excluded from everything. And that's a tough balance to walk. And James is really going to spend the rest of the book talking about this idea. Jesus said it this way, you know, you love, love God with your whole heart, and you love others. You love your neighbor as yourself. You balance those two things out. So let's talk about a couple, way, couple of takeaways for us as we head into um, this, this week. First thing, you've got to learn self-control. If you're going to be a mature believer, you've got to learn to control yourself. And the best way to start is your tongue. The best way to start is to take a good hard look. Remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Quick to listen, slow to speak. So we really have to stop and think, you go, well, you just don't understand. That person just pushes all my buttons and I just lose it on them. No, because I know that if certain people walked into the room at that time, you'd control it. You let a little kid walk in the room when you're in the middle of giving people a piece of your mind. It's amazing what you can do to stop. Um, I like one guy we were talking about this this week, or a couple weeks ago. He said it was one of those things where he wanted to tell the person off. And then he thought, but wait a minute. If they come to church and see me, what are they going to think about my belief? As a pastor... Honestly, my Christianity gets in the way of a lot of things I want to do. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to tell you right now. There are people that I'm like, you have no idea what I want to say. Um, but I have to step back. And, and again, I get, I get like a, I get a cheat card. And the cheat card is I can always play the pastor card. Well, I'm not going to do that because I'm a pastor. You know, it should be I'm not going to do that because I'm a Christian. Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, and the, the reality of it is, there are times that the only thing that has stopped me from doing something is the idea that that person may visit our church one day and walk in and see me on the platform, and i got to be really careful that I have not ruined that opportunity. Um, you go, well, that's kind of, can't you just, don't you have enough character to just be able to go, you know, that's the right thing to do? No. I would like to tell you yes, but at times I just have to use that as a cheat card and go, you know what, I'm afraid, you know, if they come into church on Sunday, I want to be able to have an opportunity to reach them. Stop. Listen to the way you're talking to your spouse. Listen to the way you're talking to your kids. Listen to the way you're talking to your employer or employees. Look at the way that you treat a cashier. Look at the words that are coming out of your mouth when you ask for something at a restaurant and it doesn't come quick enough. Ask yourself, you know, one of the things that I, particularly in this culture, you know, I don't know if you've been through McDonald's drive-thru lately, but I'm telling you, it's getting slower and slower and slower. And again, that, that's God and me, that's our thing. You know, it's like, okay, God, you know, 
Um, and, and, and so I, we were doing a lot of running around this past week, so I was eating there more than I, I normally do. And it was almost one of those things where, in fact, one time we were so, I was with Josh, and we, were, we wanted to get through so fast, he's like, I'll go inside. It was worse. <laughs> I had enough time to go get gas, come back, and then sit for five minutes. But you know what? They're doing the best they can. They're short-staffed. They're overworked. Cut them some slack. Don't say what you want to say. Um, why? Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can control your speech. You can control what comes out of your mouth because you've worked on what's in your heart. That's what James is saying. Second idea is this. Don't make the week about you. Your job and my job is to open our eyes to be able to minister to people that we see around us. It's not about us. Genuine faith looks outside of us. Next time, pray something like this. God, help the person in front of me to get the front parking space. Um, I love it, and, and, and I should do this. I just don't think about it at the time. But I, I'm a big fan of, I do buy my wife flowers. Um, this week I got a little cheap. I was cutting down a, a sunflower thing that had grown up in my flower bed thing. And I thought, well, I'm just going to cut these off. So I brought them in and stuck them in a vase and said, hey, flowers for the week. Um, uh, you know, and But, you know, we've had people here who have, you know, they're five bucks. They're five bucks at Walmart. Who have bought flowers and then handed it to somebody in the parking lot. It's not about, it's not about you. Find some way to give, some way to minister to somebody else, some way to do something for somebody else, particularly somebody who's less fortunate than you. You go, well, you know, they won't know me. It's not about being known. That's why, we, that's why when you walk into this building, if you'll notice, there are no plaques with names on it here. You know why? Because it's not about that. There are all kinds of people that have given all kinds of things for this place to exist. But they've done it without wanting acknowledgement for it. And that's what it's about. It's about the idea of just serving to serve. And James says here, look, genuine faith, that's what it does. The last idea is this. Take a look at how much the world is squeezing you into its mold. Be careful about how you think. Be careful about this idea of wanting to be so much like the world. Um, I, you know, again, so often I, I see this where we just think that we have to do everything the world does. I love the idea. Um, again, this is just my thing, but I love the idea that Christians can get together and have fun, and there's no alcohol involved. Somehow we're in a culture where we think in order to have fun, it has to have alcohol. You know, um, one of the things we've set as a policy here is we've just said, you know what, even, even for weddings and things like that, we've said no alcohol on the premises. We have people here that that's a lifelong struggle for them. The last thing we want them to do is come here and have to fight it. 
Um, and again, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, but I'm saying when we get to the mindset that we have to have what they have in order to have fun, we got a problem. Whatever that is. And again, that's just, you know, or I have to talk the way they talk. Or they won't, they won't, they won't listen to me if I can't tell a dirty joke. They won't listen to me if I'm not doing this or doing that or being involved in this or being involved in that. It's so important that we're different, um, that we stand out. Because here's what I've learned. At some point, most people come up against a situation they can't fix on their own anymore. And they've never needed God, and all of a sudden now, they're up against something that is so big that they need God. And at that point, that's our opportunity, where I want to be the one that they have on speed dial. I want to be the one they call. I want to be the one that they say, hey, look. And here's how it often starts out, the conversations that I've heard with me. It's like, hey, look, I know you do that God thing. You know, and, and, and I don't know if it'll work for me or not, but can you, one of the great things you and I can do is look at them and say, look, I know you're going through a tough time. Is it okay if I just pray for you? Most of them will not turn it down. Um, I mean, come on. Even the world tries to mimic it. They don't say anymore. That, you know, the whole pray thing makes them nervous. So you know what they say now? I'll send good thoughts your way. Ooh, I got them. Oh, thanks. Good. It'll be a good day. Really? Really? No, no, no. Let me tell you something about me. I have a relationship with God. And he's my heavenly father. And he listens to me. And I can go to him at any time. And I'm going to go to him and talk about and ask him to help you. I'm not just going to send some voodoo thing out there for you to hopefully grab. No, 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 no. I'm going to take you before my heavenly father, who's on the throne of the entire universe, and ask him to encourage you. we got to be different. We've got to be different. And there's that fine balance. And I just want to challenge you. Don't let the world tell you you got to be like them in order for them to listen to you because there could be nothing further from the truth. That's an amazing thing to me about Jesus. The people who were most unlike him liked him. That's amazing. That's amazing. And the people who he thought should be like him, they didn't like him at all. The religious leaders hated him. He, they hated him. But he had a way of not letting these people know, I'm here to help you. And that's our challenge. So this morning, I end with this. Genuine mature faith is demonstrated in specific action. It is a life that is controlled and reflected in our speech. Mature faith forces us to see the needs of others. It focuses on seeing the world of sin as God sees it. It doesn't allow the world to squeeze us into its mold. A mature faith shows the world what God the Father looks like every day.
Let's have that kind of faith this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Use us. God, we walk out of this place this, this morning, today, challenged by everything that's around us. Lord, there's a world that needs you. There's a world that is hurting. There's a world that is struggling. Lord, for many, we are the only exposure to you that they are going to see. So, Lord, use us. Open our hearts. Open our minds. Help us to control what we say. And, Lord, may people be able to see Christ in all that we do this week. And we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise these things we ask in your name. Amen.